snooker is like billiards or pool. I was watching some snooker highlights the other day on YouTube. Sounds weird when I say it out loud. <laughs> some snooker highlights. We're back. We're back. It's like we never left. But we did leave. Well, you did. <laughs> One of us left. He went out for a card of milk and a pack of cigarettes and said, Gabe, we'll be right back. Yeah, at this point, that people will hear this episode. TCP's dead, baby. <laughs> this is like our reunion tour episode. Yeah, so we got crazy news. Big news. Big, big news. Roided out news. <laughs> Hugh Jackman is returning for <gasps> the Deadpool 3 as Wolverine, and the internet went crazy. They put out a new video today. Did you see it? Today? No. Yeah, it was them sitting on the couch discussing the plot of Deadpool 3. What? And then it but it, Stop. it cues a song, I Will Always Love You. But and uh, <laughs> but it says I will always love Hugh. Oh, that's cute. And uh They seem to so be friends in real life. Well they are, yeah. So they start talking about the plot and then the music cue comes in and it's super funny. But yeah, huge, huge news. Deadpool 3 is coming out September of 2024, I think right at the beginning of phase six. So fairly certain the multiverse will be a part of that story and bringing in Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, obviously. I I don't think he's going to be the MCU's Wolverine, but you know, I think we'll have a Wolverine in that story and then potentially maybe even returning for secret wars but that's just a that's super conjecture at this point right when you thought hugh was done (laughs) right when you thought we were done with the podcast here we are again money talks (sighs) am i throwing money at you (laughs) check my paypal um yeah so we both saw at separate times Mm -hmm. this movie that we're talking about today oh yeah what are we talking about today, Gabriel? Today, Stephen, it is our pleasure to be reviewing <laughs> Brett Morgan's, what did you call it? a certain kind of doc, like an experiential doc? Experiential, immersive documentary. Moon Age Daydream. Moon Age? Moon Age Daydream. And an experiential it was. It's Moonage. Moonage Daydream. 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 It's French. Yeah. I, so I should say, I don't know anything about Brett Morgan. I still don't. I haven't done any research on him. Secondly, I didn't know anything about David Bowie going into this. Anything? I knew nothing, Jon Snow. Really? Really. Did you know, I mean, you're a music head. Did you never really listen to I just never cared. I I still, like, even after hearing the songs in the movie, I'm like, all right. It was a different time. (laughs) I've, I've heard it both ways. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Moonage Daydream is technically a documentary taking archival footage remastered for the IMAX experience and a, like a retelling of who David Bowie is from the early 70s all the way through the end of his life, which was he died in 2016. And yeah, uh, I thought it was awesome. I don't have much to say about the actual movie itself, but who David Bowie was and the things that he had to say, like the, the clips that they took and, mm-hmm. and strung into a narrative for the film. I have a lot to say about him as a person and as an artist. Yeah. But if you have any information on Brad Morgan, we should probably start there. 
Uh, I don't have a lot. I watched just a little bit of interview with him because I also wasn't familiar with his work, and I guess he is a documentary filmmaker, as it were. Yeah, he's he's done this before, including one about Kurt Cobain. Oh wait, what was that called? Montage of Heck. Oh, I've heard, I've seen that. Oh yeah. Yeah, then totally. You, you know more about Brett than me. I love Montage of Heck. Actually, was it Heck or Hell? The IMDb says Heck. Okay. Yeah, I loved that documentary. Gosh. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Seeing this. Yeah, the, the Kurt Cobain style. doc was amazing, and. Um, yeah, that's so funny. I didn't even IMDb him, so I would have known that. But no, that I, I, you know, it made me understand who Kurt Cobain was as a person. And that's, I think, kind of, if I could string these two things together now in my brain, right now in the moment as, as we're discussing this, he seems to be the kind of documentarian that would rather create a sensation yeah. with with the the art of filmmaking and sound and picture moving picture to kind of show you who that person was and, and have you experience them as an individual. Cause the Kurt Cobain doc, that documentary was one of the only documentaries I think I've ever watched that like truly affected me really? for, for like days, maybe weeks after I was like only listening to Nirvana and like I was in a really dark place because that documentary takes you down some really dark paths and like puts you in Kurt Cobain's head essentially and I would have to say the same thing here for David Bowie. Like it, it transports you right into his brain and tries to immerse you into the person of David Bowie, you know? Yeah. That's and a- not knowing anything about him. It was amazing yeah. to watch because he was an amazing, <laughs> amazing person. He was, I mean, as far as we know, I mean, you never really know somebody, but yeah, it, that's totally accurate it was a very unique cinematic experience and i had the opportunity to see it in imax on a whim and i've never been more like inundated with except for for maybe dune like it's the only (laughs) other experience i can think of but where sound and picture were so overwhelming the entire two hour and 15 minute runtime was essentially like a concert Mm -hmm. Uh, it was loud and it was swelling the whole time in and out of Mm -hmm periods of Bowie's life everything Mm -hmm. was accompanied by music of his so yeah it was like it was like a an experiential experience like an odyssey through this man's life and it was always like you said more about the the sensation or the emotion over the information I don't think we really even heard from very many people I mean there weren't like documentarians and historians and um, experts it was all Bowie and his people yeah and mainly Bowie yeah mainly Bowie like 95%. And and you're right. He had a lot of really wonderful philosophy about living yeah. and about... A lot of things that I resonated with. And I I think I, I... I mean, one of the things he said at the end is like one of the, my favorite things I've ever heard. Especially, you know, when things hit you at the right time in your life and you're like, oh, that makes perfect sense to me right now. But yeah. like 10 years ago or 10 years later, it may not mean as much. Mm-hmm. He said, life is fantastic it never ends. It only changes. And I was like, wow, that is truly profound. Yeah. At least part of that quote was also in the trailer. And I just want to say that trailer for this film was potentially my favorite 
yeah, of it's, recent it's in, memory. It's insane. It, Especially it, in IMAX. It's yeah, super cool. It immediately sold me on this movie. And I think it really captured the vibe of what this film was going to try to do, mm-hmm. which is just give it that raw, visceral experience. I would have seen it again. You could have. Uh, well, I didn't want to see it in a regular movie well. after IMAX because <laughs> I feel like this film... And I'm sure You'd Brett rather play League of Legends than hang out with me. It's okay. And I'm sure Brett would say this as well: is that this film was designed, I think, to be experienced in IMAX, to have that uh, quality of picture and sound really just totally overtake you. Mm-hmm. And it was actually like almost to the point. If I can just ramble on for another few seconds about the theater going experience, to shill <laughs> out for the modern movie theater, I was like almost getting anxious during some of the the louder parts and again i I wasn't familiar with bowie either this was like the first time i'd heard 90 percent of that music yeah there was definitely like a, a cacophonous effect he would like layer he being brett morgan would layer sound effects on top of the music or sometimes even have two songs going at once yeah that would i think lend itself to the anxiety do, do you have anything to say about like the mix and master specifically of how well, wonderful I, I, I didn't see it in IMAX. If you couldn't pick that up already, Gabe did, <laughs> but I did see it in a theater that played it so loud. And I don't think I've ever done this, that I had to like cover my ears sometimes because it was that loud. I was like, I cannot believe how loud it is. And I sat as close to the screen as possible to mimic the IMAX experience. So I feel like I got somewhat of the, the taste of it, but I was very close to the screen, like three rows back, and super, super loud. Holy cow. But yeah, I, I thought it was great. I think I think they obviously were playing it back loud in that specific theater, but the mix, it, like you said, it would swell. It would, it, would, it would die down. Thank God for my ears in those moments where like it would get into the more of the philosophy. Mm-hmm. And David, David Bowie would talk about things, ideas that he had mainly surrounding his art. And then it would swell back into a song or like with like a bunch of sound effects going on. And those parts got really, really loud, but I, I didn't have a problem with, I didn't have a problem even with how loud it was. I, I think it's supposed to be that way. So there was also an important theme that I was trying to remember to bring up but i can't remember now and i i was i couldn't take notes in the movie because it was i was like i don't want to miss a second of this mm-hmm. but it was something that was reoccurring throughout the film this concept i can't remember what it was it might have been like self-expression or something but yeah. or, or maybe something about art but well the whole every time he talked he was always talking about what was driving him and what why he was motivated to continue to do his art and it wasn't even just music it was also painting, uh, self-expressionist, like he would, he would write plays, write movies. He would, he was constantly just going, moving and moving and moving and going forward. Pretty extraordinary figure in pop culture at the time. I mean, thinking about something uh, like a character as Bowie would put it, a character as flamboyant as Ziggy Stardust for the seventies and the Mm -hmm. eighties moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when he started, it might've been in the sixties as well, but that was such like a crazy thing. And to see the, like the reaction of his fans and the people that were at his concerts mm-hmm. in that archival footage was, was crazy. Yeah. He, he, it's funny that you say character cause he called themselves like figments of imagination. He's mm-hmm. like, we're not people. We're not real people. He's yeah. like John Lennon, Dylan. He's like, I will be Jagger. He said, we're all in the image of who people want us to be. 
and then I, this is just me taking notes about what he said about art. He said, art is symbolic and figurative. It's never impressed with virtuosity. Mm. Mm-hmm. He wanted to use art in a different way in his life, a physical manifestation uh, that these are the areas that are causing him grief in life. He was giving an example, like why does an oak tree one day have light hit it a very specific way and it makes you feel like it's the pinnacle of life itself when another day the light could hit it the same way, but it makes you feel like it's a nightmare or something. And, and he spoke of music like being like a very tangible thing for him to express. But he he really wanted to dive into like the dark corners of a person's mind of like the things that people can't really put words to. He said he learned how to like express the visions in his head very outwardly. Uh, he put together elements in a song that wouldn't naturally be good bedfellows. He said trying to articulate the corners of his mind that he couldn't put into words because we as, as people don't know how to capture them. And I thought that that was genius because I, I've always thought of art that way, but I li- really like the way that he continually articulated how he was trying to express feelings that nobody can usually express and purposefully keep them ambiguous because those feelings are never really supposed to be fully explained. Mm-hmm. And so the expression of his expression of art, was trying to just kind of put them out there into the world so that, you know, and then he, he also said that for himself, he's just one person. He said, my life isn't about my work or about me. I am distinctly one entity that needs looking at speaking as if, you know, the, the bigger like macro question that he was posing in the beginning of the film, at least narratively that in the way that Brett Morgan strung it together, he said the existential question that everybody asks, what is my relationship with the universe is the thing that Bowie was most interested in. And so I think Bowie never, it never was about him. It was always about trying to make it about everyone or, or trying to show off himself that would hopefully inspire others to look at themselves in the same way as if we're all, you know, puzzle pieces trying to fit in the universe, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was such a beautiful way to, to approach life. And he, you know, in the end was talking about how he wouldn't change anything and he'd do it all over again. He feels like he had a very full life, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful and inspiring, especially considering how all that, philosophy manifested after what you learned about his family, which is he came from kind of a a cold and otherwise unremarkable English upbringing to embody this spirit of individuality and Mm -hmm. passion. Yeah. Yeah. And joy, especially as a fellow introvert, the way he, a lot of the archival was him moving about spaces on his own. So it was, it was really cool to see a kindred spirit. Yeah. In that way, like even through like yeah. the streets of Tokyo or wherever he was, or the South Pacific, he's yeah. always just alone in these archival shots. He said that even he's like, when I see my art played back, he's like, I see loneliness, mm-hmm. but he's like, I don't feel alone <laughs> when I'm like at all. And when I'm making it, he's like, it's like taking a picture of yourself in a mirror as a self portrait and then getting it developed to see someone standing behind you. <laughs> <laughs> That's spooky. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you're right. Like, I think his art often exhibited loneliness, but um, he himself didn't view himself that way. Yeah. I feel like Bowie was like channeling something, you know, like. Oh, yeah. From the cosmos. But like <laughs> something that actually resonates 
or should resonate with most human beings, but I feel like some people are too, I don't know, myopic to, to see it. Yeah. I think that's, that's so obvious that inner truth or that, uh, like underlying intelligence when you see him from old interviews, even like pre Ziggy, Mm -hmm. where you have this to the common person might seem like a crazy man. (laughs) Yeah. But then the interviewers ask him questions and it's the most lucid and clear-minded intelligent thought yeah (laughs) and it he just totally like uh, will oftentimes stump the interviewer with like commentary i think it was bowie might have been someone else i think it was bowie that was talking about like uh black artists not being represented on mtv back in the day and so i don't know he's always just been a very yeah operate he's like operating on a on a higher level like you said and there there are a lot of artists like that and, and uh it's fascinating to watch those people operate. Yeah. That same interviewer I think you're talking about asked him if he believed in God. Mm-hmm. And he said he like definitely feels a force, like a definite yeah. force, but he can't name it. And he wouldn't call it God. He's like, it might be God, but he he's like, it could also just be other beings or people on other planets. <laughs> he's like, he's like, but he definitely feels like that force of it, you know? Yeah. And he also said something about like being, because he was constantly moving and they, they talked about that. He's just constantly just like a man of action, like as if he could run before he could walk kind of person. He said he'd be like Buddhist on a Tuesday and Freudian on a Friday. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. He's constantly going between religions because it, it, his kind of lifestyle and the way that he exhibited his philosophies transcended, I think, any one religion, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it encompassed all of them. He really was hooked into something yeah, that made a lot of sense for, especially like people that can progress past religion yeah, as a, as a confine, as a construct. Enlightened that holistic <laughs> sense of spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was really inspired by him as an individual. Um, like I said, his music a little bit less, his art, probably a lot less but as a person i was like very very engaged i actually really liked the music i heard and right after i left the theater i went on spotify i was curious if this movie's renditions of those tracks were accurate well if they were just presented online as they were in the film because a lot of these songs were remixed and remastered for this picture and they have the entire film soundtrack played uh, as it was in the film on Spotify, and that's including some VO from Bowie himself. It's oh. a pretty cool thing. You can go and relive the film online. Oh, sweet. On Spotify, uh, audio-wise. And so people should check it out. It's pretty cool. If you're often put off by normal documentary, this will probably interest you. This is definitely one of the more, like we were talking about with Fire of Love, like these kinds of documentaries that, aren't talking heads, but they're more archival footage to try to invoke like a feeling or, uh, like a tone. I think this is right in line with that kind of documentary and is super engaging the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you feel like you leave the theater having experienced those individuals or that individual and not just because you're getting a history lesson, you know, you're, you're, you're actually, feeling something yeah that was the one last thing i actually forgot to bring up was that the archival footage and the editing of it there was so much uh non-bowie archival edited into his story to provide like Uh historical context for his uh 
well, music, I was going to say movement. Um, but that mm-hmm. was a really interesting uh, strategy, I think, from Brett. And I think he's spoken a little bit, like I said in that interview, about the editorial process for him and how he, that's like his favorite part is to experiment in the post. And I, it was a fascinating technique because the editing of all that bonus archival footage from the times, from the 60s to the 90s was like, it added so much to that uh, For sure. like concert experience. Like a lot of times big bands of the latter 20th century and even into the 21st century will uh, incorporate, what do you call it, um, in their performance, a lot of audiovisual aids. You know what I mean? Yeah, They'll have like yes. a big stage show production behind them and oh yeah this felt like it would Stage be production. totally in line with one of like those costume changes and all that stuff well i mean like they might even have like fire the, like a huge screen behind them yeah i can't remember that. i think there's a better term for it but i see what you're saying but yeah it was it just i don't know pretty remarkable experience and if you have any love at all for the man or his music you should go check it out in a theater i don't know if it's still playing in imax but I think it got kicked out by Avatar and the blue people. Jesus Christ. Have you watched that? Have you Not used, yet. Are you going to? Probably. I missed the opportunity to see Spider-Man again. No. It's gone. I Well, you're probably going to own it. I'm sure they'll bring it back. I do already own it, but I don't. Oh. I haven't seen all that extra footage, and that's what's important. You know? No. Sad. I just got somebody messaged me about the, the Hellfire Club reel that we posted on Instagram. And he said, like just now, I said, FYI, your sponsored post absolutely worked. I watched the Hellfire Club t-shirt story, clicked over and was sold. Can't wait to check it out. All the best to you. <laughs> nice. Pretty funny. People love satanic Str- imagery. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Stranger things. People love the TCP. If you're a fan of the TCP, join our Patreon. No. <laughs> We've got a lot of uh, great gifts. The higher up you go, the better the gifts. You if you're a, a tier five subscriber. You, yeah, if you're a tier five, you can get a cameo from me and Gabe. Oh my god. <laughs> I would unironically be down to do that. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> I said it, I was like, you know what, Gabe would actually probably enjoy that because that's his sense of humor. Um <laughs> and also our Twitter is expanding. I was joking about the Patreon, by the way, but I'm serious about the Twitter. Gabe it's is not now, exploding. Gabe is running our Twitter and it is off the rails. He so far has tweeted twice in three weeks (laughs) in three weeks time but it is it is hustling and bustling i'm learning just like this podcast is hustling and bustling we're here for you guys and anyway here's a song from (laughs) david bowie himself yeah or i guess from moon age daydream the official soundtrack to moon age daydream here's gabe's favorite song didn't know what time it was
Oh. Uh-huh. 